1: Everybody, and welcome to episode number 15 of the Lone Gumming Podcast. It's your boy Rob Clark coming at you today. We're going to talk a little bit about my favorite little enigma himself, Mr. Lee Harvey Oswald. And before we get into today, I would first like to thank everybody for listening again. It's only getting bigger, and that's a, that's a good thing. And, and the more people listen, the more it makes me want to do this. Uh, because I know people are getting something out of it, and it creates a dialogue for discussion. And it's one of my favorite topics. And if you haven't yet, and I don't know why you haven't, if you haven't, Please check out my buddy Doug Campbell's podcast, The Dallas Action. You can find him on Spreaker. You can find him on Facebook. And please, please give him a listen. Let him know what you think. Visit my Facebook page. Let me know what you think. Give it a like. Feel free to comment. Feel free to send me an email. Everything is real streamlined on the Spreaker. Okay, just click on my info and it'll give you everything you need right there one click away my email the facebook page stuff like that you'll find it all in one spot and the facebook page is where uh... i'll post up information documents testimony photos uh... things like that from what we talk about here And just to clarify a couple things from the last podcast well Ralph Cinque is still pushing his uh, Bill Shelley theory no it's not his because he stole it remember Uh, but he did end up giving David Joseph's credit uh, for it and rightfully so and you know I have to say it it does resemble Bill Shelley And, and like I said that opens up a whole lot of holy shit if it is him because it changes the dynamic of everything and I might get into that in the next podcast because I've been thinking a little bit about uh, about that and a couple other articles I'd like to like to talk about and tie all that stuff in together but today we're going to be talking about Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, just who, who the hell he was Okay, because I went back today and I re-listened to his interviews that he did on the radio on the uh, Latin Latin listening post uh, with Bill Stuckey. And, uh, wow. I mean, and there's a couple files that you can find. Um, I'll post them up on the Facebook page that goes, uh... He he was actually on the radio twice down there in New Orleans. Uh, I think it was a week apart. And the first time was just a basic interview uh, with Bill Stuckey. And it was probably a good, you know, 30, 35 minutes long. And then uh, he was on about a week later, and uh, he was on there with uh, Carlos Brignier, And that one was only about... 20, 25 minutes, something like that. But I'll post up the audio if you'd like to go listen to him. And the reason I went back and listened to him is because a, it had been a long, long time since I had, and I probably really wasn't paying much attention when I did listen because I'd read the transcripts. But I always believe that if you can hear something firsthand, it's always better than than, than reading it. And when you listen to this, you know, you get to hear the voice of Oswald, you get to hear him speak, and how, and the way he speaks, and the reason I bring it up is because, I know Doug's pointed out on on uh, on his podcast about uh, Oswald's level of education, I guess you could say, and his ability to... Uh, to learn Russian and comprehend it and and, and all that and his uh, you know nobody has asked me that question uh, you know when he was in custody and I don't know what's an act and what's not an act but um, to go back and listen to these interviews he did on the radio there in, in New Orleans is an eye opener because he reveals a couple things. He lies about some things. But, and, and he is very good at avoiding direct questions. Very good. And I can see why the police might have gotten uh, a little flustered when they were questioning Oswald when they had him in custody. Uh, just Just from his sheer... Uh, ability to deflect questions and it might sound like he's responding uh, you know directly to the question but his answer very rarely answers the question that was asked. And what you have to keep in mind now is that when he gave these radio interviews Oswald was 23 years old okay? Now, just based on personal experience and how I was when I was 23, um, to be that interested in world affairs or (laughs) really anything for that matter um, and be that knowledgeable on things and that well-spoken and... It's quite frankly a little amazing to me. Um, and listening to the audio, it's quite clear that he has received some kind of training in, uh, in answering questions and just the, the technique used to avoid direct questions and uh, you know probing questions. And well, the first interview he did, uh, it really wasn't that bad. Um, he just basically answered questions, you know, concerning the the free, uh, the f- uh, fair play for Cuba committee. And it's hard to say how much Oswald was fudging or expanding on you know, taking liberty of expanding but he said a lot without really saying anything pretty much and it, it, it's it's pretty cool to sit there and listen to him you know pretty much expand on all this stuff without really saying anything uh, you know concerning the, the free queue committee and, and he does stuff about Latin America and uh, different other countries and even countries in Africa and their, their, their gross national product and what they export to various countries and different countries' connections to communism and Marxism and feudalism and socialism and democracy and what it means to him and uh, his, his basic stance is that America just needs to mind their own business and, and stay the fuck out of everybody all these other countries' business and let them do their own thing. Um... And that... He said that... That's pretty much the fair play for Cuba committee's stance. You know, because it's not Cuba's fault for having to turn to Russia. Because... You know, we pretty much cut them off after Castro came to power. And... Uh, reversed a lot of his policies and adopted communism. Um, but like like... Oswald said you know when a country is, comes out of a revolution and they're trying to figure out what their country is going to be and how it's going to be ran and what it's, what it's going to be like if you want it to be different than the way it is you know things have to start over and you can't just jump right into a democracy you know there has to be order there has to be social standings there has to be you know not a nanny state but you know pretty much people relying on, on each other and, and the government providing for a lot of things. And, you know, of course we cut off I mean they were Cuba was one of the main providers of sugar to the United States. And Oswald even rambled off, you know, I think it was like a a hundred million dollar industry a year. You know, that Cuba was getting from from us for the sugar. And that's just for sugar alone. And when we cut them off you know, they had to find somewhere else to sell this sugar and, and get this money, and they turned to Russia. And But, you know, the deal made with the Russians, this is what Oswald said now, it was 80%, uh, they paid 80% in machinery and technologies and only 20% in cash, which really... Hurt the common person, the farmers, the peasants, uh, and, and you know, cause people to flee because they had nothing. Um, you know, the government wasn't able to provide for them on that kind of income alone, and people wanted to branch out and start farming other things and providing for their families, and it wasn't allowed. And you know, I can see Oswald's point of view because. You know, unless some place is like, I mean, out of all the places, you know, where there's conflict, where there's uh, utter chaos and dictatorships, you know, when things get out of hand, like, you know, the kind of crimes against humanity, I I guess you could call them, you know, the places like North North Korea propagates on, on its citizens... Uh, places like China, uh, you know, some of these uh, African countries um, that are just they're just run run amuck with corruption and uh, just anything goes type of mentality, and that, you know the military runs things, and you know people are slaughtered, and it's just horrible things going on in this world, and you know, if America wants to take a stance on what's decent and what's not instead of, oh, we need to bring these people democracy, we need to spread freedom you know, instead of intervening when there is an obvious problem in another country and and innocent people are getting slaughtered like in the Cameroon and Rwanda uh, North Korea, Syria you know (laughs) We're stuck guarding the poppy fields in in Afghanistan. You know? And and making up fake boogeymen like Bin Laden. And uh, creating fake stories about his death. You know, to to take some heat off Obama's birth certificate. And of course, you know, 9-11. All that was crap. You know, to get us over there in Iraq. And now, you know... Now Iraq's going to shit again. And... It seems like America is always... Some place where they're not needed. And not in the places where they are needed. And Oswald was right about that. Now, the question is... Was it all an act? Was it... Was he playing a part? Was it all propaganda? Was it a big, uh... Facade? Um... And the way he speaks in these radio interviews, and of course we know now that he was the only member, you know, and he, he talks of of uh, as being, you know, being the secretary. He needs to protect uh, the member, various members' identities and, and, and addresses and phone numbers and such, because you know their organization draws so much ire and and and, and hatred and violence that. You know that's what they do to protect their members, but in reality, we know this guy was the only member, and you know that he picked up his his, his recruits to hand out flyers from the uh, from the uh, unemployment agency and paid him two bucks, and we know that from the the testimony of uh, Charles Steele and just the fact that the, that the cameras are there it's at, the, it's at the trademark where it's where shaw's offices are you know shaw's even seen in some of the footage there as oswald's handing out his leaflets and drawing back to this little bill shelley in front of the trademark debate as he's uh, handing out the flyers you know somebody posited that it could be that the figure could be thomas beckham and we, we touched a little bit on Thomas Beckham in the Bishops of New Orleans episode of uh, Lone Gunman. And I went back and I reread his HSCA testimony because Ralph tried to say that no way it could have been Beckham at all. Look at, his, look at his testimony during the garrison investigation. He didn't admit to anything. He didn't know anything. He didn't know anybody. He didn't do anything. And going back and reading his HSCA testimony. In which he was granted full immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony. Okay, Beckham told a very, very different story. And I mean very different You know, he speaks of his associations with Ferry and Bannister and Shaw, you know, and even curring some plans or something to Lawrence Howard in Dallas at at the Executive Inn, uh, you know, like a week before the assassination. And he also spoke of knowing uh, Lawrence Howard and, and, and Lauren Hall and that, you know, they would often put the cans out ...at different places... Uh, ...you know, to raise money... ...for these uh, anti-Castro things... ...and... ...you know, they would speak... At, ...at different places... ...or they would put a can in a store... ...saying, you know, if, if you're against Castro... ...you know, please donate to us... ...because we'll do something about it... ...type of thing... ...and of course he was involved with David Ferry... ...and all these fake churches... ...but, the, you know, the big thing that, that, that Beckham... ...revealed... Uh, this is of course separate from his revelation that Fred Chrisman was uh, his handler and he was in charge of something known as the organization, which kind of seemed to oversee and know everything about what was going on back then. But that's a different story for a different day. He reveals in his testimony that he, uh, he did know Lee Harvey Oswald and in fact saw him handing his leaflets out in front of the trademark one day and he stopped and talked to him and when they were done leafleting uh, he said him and Lee Oswald went down and and, got, and sat down and got a coke somewhere and had a soda together and talked about what he was doing and he said he knew Lee Oswald very well and he saw him on many occasions Now this is just an example of Ralph not doing any research at all because when you're looking into what people say okay you have the Warren Commission you have the Garrison investigation and you have the HSCA and of course all these are testimonies under oath supposedly okay and we all know how everybody feels about Warren Commission testimony uh, a lot of it was stricken from the record. A lot of it was changed or altered, or people were ignored, and and you know the right people weren't interviewed. Uh, you know, and then we have the Garrison investigation where people were very reluctant to cooperate with Garrison, and there really wasn't a whole lot that they that he could do about it, um, except for people like Carrie Thornley, who he who he uh, slapped for contempt and threw him in jail, but the HSCA testimony I have to think is a little more reliable because you gotta figure okay after the or during the garrison investigation you had a lot of people dying in between 63 and 67 you had Guy Bannister dead you had David Ferry dead okay okay you had, uh, some of these anti-Castro Cubans dead. The Lady DeVille and, uh, several people, uh, you know, relating to the, to the Tippett shooting. And people were very reluctant to speak, even then. But, to the HSCA, you have to think by then, okay, a lot more people were were dead. Okay? You got Clay Shaw dead, you got, uh... You know, people I've already mentioned dead. Lee Oswald dead. David Ferry dead. Um, all these anti-Castro Cubans dead. Um, you know, and people were a little bit more free with their testimony, you know, knowing that all these other people weren't around anymore. And... Also, with the, that something they weren't given with the Garrison investigation was a guarantee of immunity from prosecution in exchange for their testimony, which is very important because it's basically a free pass to say you know finally finally spill all the shit that's been weighing on you for all these years and not have to worry about being prosecuted for your involvement or your knowledge. And I tend to place a little more credence on the HSCA testimony of just about everybody, um, just due to that fact that they had that they had that power to provide immunity for 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 testimony of important you know people, and you know like I said he didn't give Garrison jack shit. You know, he, he said, Chrisman told him to go in there and deny, 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 deny. Okay, and he said, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to be the wiser. Just deny, deny, deny. You don't know nothing. You don't know anybody. Nothing happened. You ain't involved. Blah, blah, blah. He said, don't worry about it. And he was right. He went in there and denied, 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 and nothing was done to him. Nothing, nobody did anything to him. And uh, he basically saved his own ass. Now, when it comes to the HSCA testimony, like I said, it is a 180-degree turn, and I'll post a link to that on the Facebook page, and you can read it for yourself. You know, it's frankly, it's quite one of the more interesting HSCA testimonies given uh, is Thomas Beckham's. And, of course, this provides the point that, you know, it could be Beckham in the photo. It doesn't necessarily have to be Shelley. And, you know, it's one of those things to where it's going to end up like George Bush in front of the TSBD. It's going to end up like uh, Prayer Man. It's going to end up, you know, being something so vague that people have very strong opinions on. But nothing can be actually proven one way or the other. Now, with Beckham, we do have his testimony that he was there. Okay nobody ever put Shelley in New Orleans um, you know there's there's a, a big possibility that Shelley was CIA um, and like I said I'm hopefully going to get into all this in the next podcast because I've got a couple uh, alternate narratives that I'd like to run through with you and that a lot of people haven't heard about in the past and and see what you guys think about it, but... back to New Orleans for a second. Um... Well, an interesting thing. Is it really, right after the assassination, uh, the district attorney... I think it was the district attorney for uh, Texas, Wagner Carr, uh, he found out that, that Lee Oswald was an FBI informant, and he had his number, his FBI informant number, and knowledge that he was receiving $200 a month in payouts okay now we also have uh, back in New Orleans when he was working at the Riley Coffee Company earlier in the summer of 63 we have testimony from Adrian Alba who ran this garage next door to Riley Coffee Company that Lee Oswald supposedly always hung out with he would like to go over there and talk to Adrian about about guns and look at magazines and, and general chit-chat. And it was a place he like to hang out. And this was also happened to be a place where the government officials would park their vehicles. You know, people that worked in the... Because remember I told you that Riley Coffee Company, Banisher's Office, ONI, CIA, FBI, they all had offices right within walking distance of each other and this particular garage that, that Alba worked at was where they would park their vehicles and he states on several different occasions while he was talking to Lee Oswald that the FBI or an FBI car would come up and hand Oswald an envelope Okay, now what was in that envelope I don't think was known whether it was instructions whether it was a payout you know we'll never know but you know it it harkens back to what Oswald told Beckham in his HSCA testimony he said that Oswald had told him that the chief had his back and would protect him and in referring to the chief Oswald was speaking directly of Hoover okay which as we know is the head of the FBI back then he said it doesn't matter what these what these local local FBI people do to me he's like I know the chief will always have my back he knows what I'm doing okay which is, is very interesting and of course we have you know from Abraham Bolden the fact that an FBI informant named Lee called and tipped him off about the assassination attempt in Chicago which makes things even more interesting okay because as I've touched on before uh, that he was likely involved with the CIA when he was doing his false defection to Russia and he was debriefed when he got back you know and that was probably you know the end of Oswald's CIA involvement. Now he was also debriefed by the FBI when he got back. In addition to the CIA, and he always had close ties. He, when he got arrested in New Orleans, he demanded to see somebody from the FBI, and they spoke to him for two or three hours. Okay, and you know what's interesting. As I, as I read today, that in a letter that he wrote, I think it was to the uh, chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba committee, he wrote five days in advance of this little altercation with Carlos Brinier that, uh, you know, that he had recently been arrested for leafleting and uh, put in jail over it. Now, he did this five days in advance of the actual thing taking place which is odd, you know, it gives you the impression that, that maybe it was a, a setup to, you know, give more give more weight to what Oswald was doing down there. Because as we know, he was working out of Guy Bannister's office. We know Guy Bannister was buddies with Hoover. We know Guy Bannister was big into outy uh, commies and communist activity and with Bannister handling Oswald you know and putting him in these situations and, and creating this publicity for him um, and with Oswald also being in the same circles as, as Ferry and uh, you know a lot of these anti-Castro Cubans and, and Clay Shaw you know They might have figured out that this guy Is a damn rat Okay And that's why he might have been set up as the patsy You know to take the fall for what what They were going to do Because it really doesn't make Any sense Um, Because if you go back and listen To the Oswald interviews there on, On the radio He states A couple things One of note is that you know, the interviewer asked him you know, has he ever visited Latin America or, or, or been to Cuba and he says no but I've been to Mexico and of course this was in August of 63 and we know Oswald didn't supposedly go to Mexico until September of 63 near the end of it so was Oswald lying about that because we don't have any records of Oswald going to Mexico before then you know, I'm just wondering what the what the end game could have been for Oswald, or what they had expected him to do. Uh, you know, if if he actually did go to Mexico, and it was actually him that, that you know tried to, and, and I don't know because I'm more lean more toward the camp that it wasn't Oswald, at least the guy we know as Oswald in Mexico um, for a ton of different reasons and of course this is another thing that divides the researchers of there's you know there's some people that believe he did go to Mexico and there's people that do, don't think he went to Mexico you know and, and both both for various reasons and it's hard to say for sure um, because Oswald was doing some strange things in the summer of 63 um, you know after his little stint at the coffee company he was driven by his uncle, you know, Eugene Moret, uh, who had ties to Marcello. He was driven over to, what was it, Alabama, to speak at the uh, Jesuit College that his cousin attended, and he gave a big speech there um, about his 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 life in Russia and and you know on communism and and things like this, and come to find out a week or two before that guess who also spoke at the same Jesuit college Clay Shaw you know about international trade and and this and that and the other which I find highly weird and then we also have him the next week visiting a atomic energy museum in Tennessee I mean, his name is right there on the registry it looks to be his handwriting and uh, bounces around with a lot of other researchers and it, it's damn, downright baffling as to why he was there um, of course according to Judy Baker who was picking up radioactive material for their cancer soup that they were going to inject into Fidel Castro but I'm not buying that either because if you're really going to do that I don't know. It just it just seems to me like they could have gotten the radioactive material a little closer to home or have it brought to them or delivered to them instead of relying on Oswald somehow getting to Tennessee to get it. Because, uh, you know, we know he didn't drive. Or did he? Or was he flown there? According to her, David Ferry flew him there. And it, I mean, it would make more sense to me that you know, after they made the trip to the Jesuit College that they might have went sightseeing a little bit and uh, made a big loop return trip to Texas but there's nobody else on that register but Lee Oswald there's no, no Marina, no kids, no Morettes because Eugene Eugene Morett, his cousin or is that his uncle? yeah, his cousin Eugene you know, had brought his whole family. You know, they were in like a two-car caravan. You know, going to the Jesuit College to speak, and there was a lot of people from the Rett family, and of course the Oswalds. It was, you know, Lee Oswald, his his pregnant wife, and their kid, and uh, you know Dust Moret and his family, and you know, well Lee Harvey Lee Oswald's cousins. You know, was a bunch of them. But his name's the only one on the register. And it just seems all a little odd. And then, of course, you get into that Albert Osborne thing. This enigma, another enigma of a character who's who actually lived in Tennessee, close by, um, who Oswald could have been going to see also. That supposedly... A company into Mexico, and who supposedly, according to Torbid document, you know, ran an assassin school in Mexico. But that's another discussion for another day, also. Um. But I mean, I, I going back and listening to this stuff and these, these radio interviews, it, it's. I mean, Oswald sounds like a very knowledgeable, educated guy. I mean, he, he's pulling words out of his ass like superfluous and, and things like that, that that just aren't in people's everyday vocabulary and now, and I'm sure back then weren't either. And, you know, he even slips up in one of the interviews where he says, they were talking about his time in Russia and how he was allowed to stay there, or why he was allowed to come back after he renounced his citizenship. And he kind of slipped up when he said, uh, you know, I was under the protection of this. And then he stumbles and mumbles for a second. And then he says, I was not under the protection of the State Department. And I think that that, that's pretty telling, too, that little tidbit. Because during the interview, Brunier really didn't say a whole lot. You know, he was talking about, you know. TVs per capita of Cuba versus Russia or telephones or cars and just stuff that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. And the whole thing, you know, with with the fight and all that seems a little staged. But like I said, getting back to New Orleans, it it looks a hell of a lot like he had the FBI fingerprints all over him. Like he was helping to out these commies with Guy Bannister. You know, he told Beckham, you know, he, he knew the chief personally, and he, had, he always had his back no matter what these local FBI cronies did to him. It didn't matter because he had the chief's ear. You know, and we have Alba saying he was re- receiving uh, these mysterious envelopes, which could either be in communication or payments from the FBI. You know, we have Bolden stating an FBI def- informant, you know, named Lee, called and and warned about the assassination attempt in Chicago and we have Wagner Carr finding out that Oswald was an FBI informant and having his informant number and the amount he was being paid so and it's very funny because we have Warren DeBreeze the FBI agent in in, in New Orleans kind of uh, shadowing Oswald after he moves back to Texas Uh, you know DeBreeze goes to Texas and after Oswald's killed breeze goes back to New Orleans and of course then we have all the funny business going on in the FBI office in Dallas with Gordon Shanklin and Hostie and this note and you know Hostie bothering Marina and Oswald getting pissed and you know maybe the note said look asshole you know I'm working for Hoover you dumbass leave my family alone you know it, it could have easily said that and you know, Hoover plays dumb and and of course, you know, the FBI is complicit in the cover up and, and handling of the evidence you know, they have everything shipped to them to manipulate and you know, they get on board with the lone assassin theory really quick and you know, the FBI just keeps popping up Ever since Oswald comes back to New Orleans, and another odd thing he said in this interview was that uh, you know he was stating his history, you know, and where he grew up and where he went to school. You know, he's from New Orleans. He went to, to Beauregard Junior High, and uh, for two years. Then he went to this high school for a year, and then he moved to Texas to Fort Worth, where he said where he had a lot of family. Now we know Oswald didn't have a lot of family. Okay, the only family that he had in Fort Worth came later. Okay, when uh, when Robert had moved back there and got out of the Marines. Okay, that was it. I don't think I don't think a one brother constitutes a lot of family. Um, you know, we know Oswald's father died and yeah, it just a lot of things in this interview doesn't make sense, but please go listen to it. Listen to it again. I get, I'm i going to get the audio directly from Mary Farrell's site, and it's it's directly even from back then. It's even got these old commercials in it that are are, are really cool to hear. You know, these old radio commercials and jingles from the '60s, and it, it's it's very cool to hear and how kind of. I don't know. You have to hear the interviews to, to kind of feel how structured they are. And, of course, it's been bantered about that after the first interview, uh, you know, Stucky and Oswald went and had a beer and, and dinner or whatever and, and talked some more. And then, of course, a week later, he's invited back, you know, to debate Bregnier, bring Carlos Bregnier, and, uh it's just it's just wild stuff to listen to and it's it's really it really makes you think because you know you're thinking how did this fool that didn't didn't complete high school when the marines went to russia and he comes back he's only 23 and this is how he's talking it's it's quite frankly amazing to me how knowledgeable he is on this all this cuba stuff and he just throws out facts and facts and, and statistics. But he's very shady about the whole Fair Play for Cuba committee angle of it. Because on, on occasion, you know, they were asking him, well, who's the who's the secretary of the national chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba committee? And Oswald dodges the question, doesn't answer it. He answers by saying, well, the director is a guy named V.T. Lee, which, of course, is the only person he really knew um, other than... Well, himself, really. <laughs> and you would think if he was a legitimate secretary of his chapter of Fair Play for Cubic Committee that he would know the national secretary of the Fair Play for Cubic Committee's name. But he doesn't. He sidesteps that question very eloquently. And the whole thing is just very fascinating to hear. So please go back listen to the audio. You know, we, we know... We see all these instances of, of the FBI having their hands on Oswald and out in these commies and, and this and that because after listening to the interview, you're thinking, all right, this guy's going in with both feet. All right, he's not just dipping his toe in the water. He's jumping in. Okay, he's taking a stand. He's leafleting. He's going on the radio stating all this stuff. He's, he's balls deep in this, you know, pro-Castro movement that he's uh, creating this false construct of and then he just drops it he drops it like it's hot you know as my buddy Snoop Dogg would say he just drops it like it's hot you know after, after, uh, after these radio interviews he drops it like it's hot okay and then he, he prepares to go to Mexico and what he does from then until he leaves for Mexico is, is also a gray area because we don't really know for sure. He wasn't working anywhere. Um, So yeah, please go back and listen to the interviews. Let me know what you think. Give me your take on it. I'm always open to new ideas. Maybe I have it wrong. Maybe my perception of him is wrong, but this is the only time that we have Oswald on audio where you can go listen to the man and what he said directly from his mouth. It's not secondhand. It's not bits and snippets from when he's in custody. This is him doing his thing and it's damn fascinating to listen to so please go check it out please keep liking us on Spreaker spread the word share some links tell your friends check us out check out Doug Campbell's podcast The Dallas Action he's a man I'm telling you you're going to love his show if you like mine you're going to love his okay because he comes in prepared and he's got the facts he's got the documents to back his shit up and he's on it the man knows his stuff. Okay? He's been on Black Op Radio as a guest. Even Lynn O'Sanic, the great Lynn Osanic, recognizes the raw talent in Doug Campbell. Okay? And that is that in itself is a high compliment in, in, in the JFK research community. So please give Doug's podcast listens, likes, loves, comments. I know he likes talking about it we talk every day we're always bouncing stuff off each other giving each other feedback and and we'd like to hear feedback from you too I've got some great comments uh, on the Sprinker page and Facebook and I promise I'm going to do a follow up show about faction here in the near future I need to read a couple more books before I get back into it but I promise I've gotten some good suggestions from people and I'm going to take you up on them and we'll get back into it at a later date but uh, that's it for now. This is your boy Rob Clark on the Lone Gunman. Some bitches in the can, up to the satellite, beamed directly to your ears. That's it for me. Till next time, people. Listen, love, like the Lone Gunman on Spreaker, Facebook. Do it. Rob Clark out.
2: Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Call Protect My Car for details. In these hard economic times, you've got to do whatever you can to save money. One of our biggest expenses can be our cars, especially when unexpected repair bills hit. Not anymore. If you do own a car, truck, or SUV made from 1999 dollars or higher, you could stop paying for car repairs. That's right. You might not have to pay a penny to have it repaired. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now to see if you qualify. You must have an automobile made from 1999 or higher and all repairs. Repairs for your engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone today and get your car protected before your next repair bill hits. That's right, total protection for your car and no more repair bills. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now to see if your car qualifies. That's star star 1149. Never pay for car repairs again. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now. Dial star star 1149.